And the wealth distribution was always 80-20. And it yeah. didn't matter if they were Marxists or socialists or capitalists or whatever. It's a law of nature. Right. So as a business owner, you're either fighting it or you're harnessing it. Yeah. And the difference between fighting and harnessing is 16 to 1. Because if you do the math, if 20% of the people have 80% of the money and 80% of the people have 20% of the money, that means whether you're the in-group or the out-group is 16 to 1. Yeah. So here's my question, Perry. How do you know who that 1% is or what that 1% is of your activities that delivers 51% of your results or which is that 1% of your clientele that delivers 51% of your revenue or profit? I'm Ryan Dice from digitalmarketer.com and you're listening to my buddy Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello there. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com, with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to getmetodone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, we then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Hello and welcome back to the Productive Insights Podcast. My name is Ash Roy. I'm the host of the Productive Insights Podcast and the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and more recently the founder of GetMeToDone.com, which is where you can find out more about the Productive Insights membership program that helps you to grow your business profitably and fast. Speaking of growing your business profitably and fast, today's guest is one of the most expensive business strategists in the world. He's been endorsed by Forbes and Inc. magazine. He's guided clients like FanDuel and Infusionsoft from startup to hundreds of millions of dollars. He founded the $10 million Evolution 2.0 prize with judges from Harvard, Oxford, and MIT. Launched at the Royal Society in London, it's the world's largest research science award. NASA's Jet Propulsion Labs uses his 80-20 curve as a productivity tool. He's reinvented the Pareto Principle, and that has been published at the Harvard Business Review magazine. His Google book laid the foundations of the $100 billion pay-per-click industry. The Ultimate Guide to Google Ads is the world's best-selling book on internet advertising. Marketing maverick Dan Kennedy said, If you don't know who Perry Marshall is, unforgivable. Perry's an honest man in a field rife with charlatans. Perry's consulted in over 300 industries. He has a degree in electrical engineering, which I believe is one of the hardest degrees to do, and lives in Chicago. I'm delighted to welcome Perry Marshall from perrymarshall.com. Welcome, Perry. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. And yeah, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, including 8020, which I think probably everybody's heard it bandied about, but most people don't really understand it in depth. So this is going to be really great. Yeah. Perry has written this excellent book called 8020 Sales and Marketing, which I highly recommend you get. You can either buy it in Kindle or in hard copy, and it's got some really valuable content in there, some of which we'll be touching on in this conversation. So I recommend you listen up. And a big shout out to my friend Jack Bourne, the founder of Deadline Funnels, who introduced me to Perry recently. I really appreciate that. I look forward to having Jack on the show in the near future. Perry, it was a pleasure to meet you in Sydney when you were here recently. And in a brief conversation, we talked about the importance of focusing on the few things that really move the needle in one's business. Now, you're the author of the book 8020 Sales and Marketing, which we just looked at. 
If you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, you'll have seen it on the video. If you're not, I recommend you check out the video version of our conversation. Now, the 80-20 sales and marketing book has some excellent insights into this approach, which looks at using your time most effectively. And specifically in chapter 12, you talk about the principle of the $2,700 espresso machine, which is followed by a case study around Joshua Boswell. So I thought that encapsulated that Pareto principle beautifully, and it conveys it very effectively to our listeners. So I thought it'd be a great jumping off point for today's conversation. Well, yeah. And see, 80-20 is, it's not just this like business rule of thumb or some abstraction that some economist came up with. Sure, it is all those things, but it's actually the most fundamental law of cause and effect in practical everyday life. And so I remember the first time I grasped like what this really means. I remember jumping up in a coffee shop and going, wait a minute, if that's true, this is going to change the whole way I see my business. I ran home, I got out a bunch of little papers and reports and stuff from my business and I got out a calculator and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is everywhere. It was one of these things where I didn't used to see it everywhere. And then all of a sudden I couldn't not see it anymore. You know, like ignorance is bliss, but you can't unlearn a truth. And so all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is going to change what I say to my clients. This is going to predict how my business is going to grow in the future. Like it's not just a thing that you look at in your rear view mirror. So let me tell you a couple of stories that will illustrate this. So my favorite 80-20 story is I have this friend named John Paul Medocha. And John dropped out of high school when he was a senior and hitchhiked to Las Vegas, much to his mother's consternation. And he became a professional gambler. And like literally his mother was going to mass every morning, lighting a candle for him, (laughs) hoping that he didn't get, you know, shot in an alley somewhere because he was really, I mean, I'm not joking. I mean, he, he was with a dangerous crowd, but it took him a while to find the dangerous crowd. And after like a few weeks of just being on his own in Las Vegas, playing poker for a living, he's like, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And so he goes to this gambling bookstore and he bumps into this guy named Rob and he finds out that Rob runs a professional gambling ring. And John says to Rob, so do you think you could teach me what you guys do? And he says, well, for a percentage of your winnings, we could teach you what we do. And so they make a deal and they shake hands. And as soon as they're done shaking hands, jump in the Jeep, John, we're going for a ride. So they jump in the Jeep and they're driving down the highway. And John says, okay, so how do I win more poker games? And Rob says, the way that you play, you win more poker games is you play with people who are going to lose. And those people are called marks. You don't go find other professional poker players. You want the kid who's got $5,000 from his grandmother for when she died and flew here from Wichita, Kansas, and thinks he's gonna get rich in Las Vegas. That's who you want. Right. And he says, so where do I find that guy? Where do I find the marks? And he says, here, I'll show you. And he pulls into the parking lot of a strip club, and they go into the strip club, and there's women and rock and roll and all these biker dudes and you know people drinking and lots of distractions and noise, right? Yeah. And he sits down, And this guy, Rob, he always carried a sawed-off shotgun with him everywhere he went. Oh, my goodness. And he pulls the sawed-off shotgun out of his jacket. He holds it under the table. He opens it up, and then he slams it shut so it goes, Yeah. And as soon as he makes that noise, there's a few people in this noisy club, like these biker guys over in the corner. (laughs) They're like, hey, (laughs) who, who made that noise? Yeah. And, And everybody else is oblivious. And the owner comes over. Hey. What's going on over here? Nothing's wrong. We're just teaching the lad a lesson. Not going to cause any trouble. He says to John, John, did you see those guys turn around when they heard that noise? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) And he says, those guys are not marks. Do not play (laughs) poker with them. Play poker with everybody else. 
I love it. <laughs> okay, now, that is what, in 80-20 sales and marketing, I call racking the shotgun. And racking the shotgun is anytime anybody does anything that where some people respond and some people don't, okay? So, like, I was just talking to one of my members earlier today, and they said, they, they were talking about how my team is just learning when, it, like, a comment on a blog post is racking the shotgun, right? So, yeah. or, or, or in Facebook, right? So you put a, a Facebook post yeah. and somebody makes a comment and it's inflammatory or mm -hmm. it makes some really interesting point. And then all of a sudden there's this whole trail of little comments behind it. Okay, that's racking the shotgun. Even right. if, you know, one of your followers did it, like maybe what they said was more provocative than your Facebook post was, or you send out an email and some people read it and some people don't, and that's racking the shotgun. Or some people get on the webinar and some people don't, or some people listen to the podcast and some people don't. All of those things are racking the shotgun. Some people read the book and some people only buy it and put it on their shelf. That's racking the shotgun. So everything in marketing is racking the shotgun. Now, how people respond to this stuff is actually follows a very, very predictable mathematical formula. And this was the thing that amazed me. And mm -hmm. the, the easiest way to illustrate the mathematical formula is what I call the principle of the $2,700 espresso machine. So 80-20 math says yeah. for every thousand people mm -hmm. who give you five bucks and buy a latte at Starbucks, mm -hmm. one of them will spend $2,700 on an espresso machine. Right. It's almost like the law of physics. Mm -hmm. and, and it follows the 80-20 rule perfectly. And if you carry it out, it says, well, you got 1,000 people. You got $5,000 from them in the form of lattes. But you can get another $2,700 from them in the form of that. And for that matter, you, know, you could have a $500 espresso machine and probably sell six or eight of them. And if you don't, it means there's something wrong. Your pitch was wrong or matching the message to the audience was wrong or, you know, it's the wrong kind of product. But if it scratches the same itch, that same group of people spend a predictable amount of money on it. And so you can use this to make unprofitable businesses profitable. We've all been to like the super elite hipster coffee shop where they have all the pour overs and, yeah. you know, the guy with the tattoos and the beard and everything makes all that stuff. And most of these guys are starving to death. And they don't know what Starbucks knows is that all the real money is probably made on the upsells. Like mm -hmm. the lattes merely keep the lights on and they, they pay the garbage and the electricity and the utilities, but they don't actually make you any profit. All of the profit is actually made on that one customer in 100 or one customer in 50 or one customer in 1,000 who's willing to spend a whole bunch of extra money to scratch the coffee itch. And you know what? The person that buys a $2,700 espresso machine, they might go on a $5,000 Mediterranean coffee barista cruise. Yes, where everybody drinks coffee all day long and they right. buzz and they talk about and they try the Arabica and they try the Sumatra and they try the, mm. and this is how people are. And, and so when I give talks in, at seminars, one of the things I love to do is I'll go, like, everybody who has shoes stand up. So everybody stands up Yeah. and I'll say, if you own less than five pair of shoes, sit down. And then a bunch of people sit down and I go, mm less than 10, sit down, less than 20. And I start doubling the number. I don't just go, I don't go 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. I go 10, 20, 40, 80, 160. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've never done this and had less than 150 shoes owned by somebody in the room. Wow. I did this at an Entrepreneur Magazine conference and one lady had 800. Jeepers. Okay. And and then I, I did it with domain names and one person owned 10 million. What? 10 million yeah. domain names? Now, yeah. Now that was an outlier. 
you know, maybe most crowds, you would only find somebody who owned 10,000 or 100,000. But yeah, there was, you know, there was a guy. Yeah. So this is true. 20% of the people own 80% of the shoes and 20% of the people own 80% of the domain names. But see, 80-20 is recursive. Yes. So not only this, and this is the part that I never understood until is actually 2003 when I had this epiphany. It's fractal. So it, so this actually explains the lady that has 800 shoes. So 20% of the 20% own 80% of the 80%. Yep. Okay. So that means 4% of the people own 64% of the shoes. And 1% of the people own 51% of the shoes. Yes. 1% of the people own 50% of the shoes and 1% of the people own 50% of the apartment buildings and 1% of the people own have 50% of the net worth and real estate and or airline miles yeah. or domain names or anything okay and this is so predictable now one of the ways that people con you is politicians always tell you they're going to change this yeah and they don't and they can't. And what Vilfredo Pareto, the original 80-20 guy, yeah. what he figured out was it didn't, he could go to Italy or Russia or France or Germany or the United States or anywhere. Yeah. And the wealth distribution was always 80-20. And it yeah. didn't matter if they were Marxists or socialists or capitalists or whatever. It's a law of nature. Right. So as a business owner, you're either fighting it or you're harnessing it. Yeah. And the difference between fighting and harnessing is 16 to one. Because if you do the math, if 20% of the people have 80% of the money and 80% of the people have 20% of the money, that means whether you're the in-group or the out-group is 16 to one. Yeah. So here's my question, Perry. How do you know who that 1% is or what that 1% is of your activities that delivers 51% of your results, or which is that 1% of your clientele that delivers 51% of your revenue or profit? Well, let's start with what's easy. What's easy is you can always look in the rear view mirror mm -hmm. and you can see what it was. And if you're really paying attention, it always surprises you, okay? Okay. So no matter who I'm talking to, you've got all kinds of people, you've got entrepreneurs, you've got salespeople, you've got marketers, you've got all kinds of people. If you are paid by results, yep. I don't care if you're a real estate agent or an internet marketer or if you're selling cars or whatever you do, if you get paid by results, mm -hmm. then half the money you made last year came in three days. It yeah. might be different days, okay? Mm -hmm. Or it might be half a day here and another day here and half a day over here, right. but it came in big chunks, okay? Yeah or it didn't come in just con some constant stream, or you know, if, if you're a real estate agent, 1% of the deals that you worked on made you 50% of your money. It's just you know within plus or minus a percent, it's guaranteed to be that way. So you start looking and you go, oh, wow, I spent three weeks playing patty cake with this customer on tech support or some silly thing and I got like nearly nothing. And I've actually been doing this for years. So like I gave a keynote speech at a group of tax accountants one time. And I said, okay, so how many of you, you have this customer and he pays you like 200 bucks a year and he doesn't get his stuff into you until like April 14, which is the day before tax day. And this massive shoebox of receipts and he sends you 87 different emails. Okay. And, and you're like, if you think about it, you're losing money yeah. by doing his taxes. How many, and all these hands go up. I said, yeah. okay, I Perry Marshall, best-selling author. I give you permission to fire that guy. No, you don't have to be mean about it. You don't yeah. even have to say that you're firing him, but you can send him a letter. Yeah. You can go, hey, you know, the new year is just around the corner and I've strategized with my board of directors and we're changing our direction and there's certain accounts we can't serve anymore. And unfortunately, yours was one of them. We'll be happy to turn you over to a different accounting firm or, yep. right? And you get rid of them. And the minute you get rid of them, 
your hours goes down and your income goes up because, well, you have to pay electricity and you have employees and you have taxes and you have overhead. You're losing money. This brings up a very important point, Perry, and that is I've seen a lot of my members in my membership program do this and just generally in business. We often hang on to clients that are hurting our business more than helping it. And the 80-20 rule, which is what you're saying, applies to your customer base as well. If your customers are chewing up a massive amount of your resources, they are actually hurting your ability to impact the world, whatever it is that you're trying to do in your business beyond just make profit, but also your capacity to serve the other customers that are not pulling you down. So you really need to be quite selective and clear about who you want to help and more importantly, who you don't want to help or can't help because they are just too resource hungry. Yes, and to that point, so everybody has some version of that guy who only pays him $200 a year and consumes enormous amounts of time and is a pain in the butt. So everybody has that. You know what most people also have? Most people also have that customer who never calls you, never emails you, never bugs you, never consumes any tech support, and they send over a $20,000 purchase order once every six months, and nobody in your office even knows what they do. Exactly. And those are the <laughs> ones you those are the ones you gotta be pretty much worshiping at at the altar of, for want of a better term. You've got to be talking to them and telling them how more how can I serve you better? Because they are your best yeah. customers. Yeah, you fly to Nashville and you go, hey, can I take you out to lunch? Okay, right. you take them out to lunch and you ask them a bunch of questions. And you find out, oh, you know, well, they got this other program and they got this other program. And it's so easy to do business with them. It's so easy to get money from them. If you start getting rid of the first kind and then focusing on the second kind, uh, which, again, oftentimes these really good clients are not squeaky wheels and they're not high maintenance and they don't trigger our reticulating activating system to pay a lot of attention to. It's like so. This is how you proactively use 80-20 is that if there's a customer that gives you 20% of the money and consumes 80% of your time, it's guaranteed that there's another customer that gives you 80% of the money and only takes 20% of your time. Absolutely. By definition. By definition. And you have to know, okay, since this is a law of physics, I can virtually be certain, like 99% of the time, this is going to be true before I even go looking for it. So if I go looking for it and I don't find it right away, I need to look harder. Yeah. Okay, so so this is true of customers, but it's also true of product lines. It's true of employees. It's true of product defects. So like 80% of the product defects only create 20% of the problems. But Mm -hmm. 20% of the product defects create 80% of the problems. And you don't perfectionistically fix every single thing that anybody ever complains about. You'll be playing whack-a-mole for the rest of your life. You go, okay. So like with a software company, anybody who's been in a software company, you get feature creeps to death by your customers, right? They want this feature and that feature and this other feature. and, And it bruises the salesman's ego every time they go, well, your control boards don't have explicit messaging. And why don't you guys have that? And it, they may not even need it. Yes. Right? But then all of a sudden you're like, you're calling your software development guy. You're going, can you add explicit messaging? He goes, well, yeah, it'll take six weeks. Now, how important is that? And then, well, you think it, it seems really important because you just talk to the guy. Like, okay, wait, step back. And 80-20 is mostly about what you don't do. Yes. It's more about what you choose not to do than yeah. what you do. Yes. And to that point, America's first trillion dollar company, Apple, has been known and often criticized for being very feature poor. But I believe they tend to use features that are the most useful, that deliver the biggest bang for buck, as it were. So I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been out of the Apple ecosystem for a long time. But when I last looked at it, you know, Android and PCs, They were very feature-rich, but you didn't need a lot of those features. NFC is an example several years ago 
when NFC first came out, they all had NFC and Apple didn't, and they were last last guys on the block to have it. But it wasn't being used as much. That, that's right. In Apple, what Apple does, Apple gives you the four percent of features, or maybe the twenty percent of features that give you, you know, two thirds or eighty percent of the use. Right. And they intentionally leave out the other features, right? So an iPad does not have a USB port. Yep. An iPad does not have printer drivers. They don't want you to print from an iPad. It's exactly. not for that. And Microsoft would tend to give people the option. Yes. Okay. And then, but see, where's the problem? The problem is you have to hire a Microsoft certified systems engineer to come over your house and get the thing to work, right? Which adds this huge amount of negativity yes. to the product, right? Yes. And Apple wants people to be happy about their iPads. Yes. And so they confine it. It's like, so the important thing about an iPad is that a two and a half year old sitting in an airplane can be playing games and not screaming. Yeah. I'll tell you what else is really fascinating to me about Apple, Perry. Like this device that they call an iPhone, and I've noticed this about their product strategy, right? This thing they call an iPhone is not just a product, it's a distribution channel, right? It's a distribution channel mm. for apps, for now their Apple TV+. Plus. And yes, I agree that the innovation on the hardware side of things has dropped significantly, but this phone is now also infrastructure for their payment system. This watch is infrastructure for probably the biggest study they're going to ever do or that has ever been done or is going to be done in the health space. These mm -hmm. things do ECGs and it's been endorsed by the FDA. Now, I'm not saying that they're as good as an ECG machine in a hospital, but it's a matter of time, right? And the data this stuff is collecting, I mean, they're, they're doing some breakthrough stuff in the diabetes area. So, you know, mm. you can wear these, this company has come out with these strips, which talks to your watch. And this thing is measuring your sugar levels second by second, minute by minute. Whereas right now, the only technology that can give you your, your blood sugar levels, if, you, if you're a diabetic, is where you do the prick test thing, you know, you pull the glucometer. This thing is going to take the level of information to a different order of magnitude. And they, I believe, are positioning themselves to become the Google Maps of health. They're creating mm -hmm. infrastructure products. They're building infrastructure that the world is going to need and depend on through these hardware products that are no longer just products. They're distribution channels, they're sensors, they're, they do so many more things than just tell you the time. They're not doing this by accident. And so yes. I, I want to generalize what you're saying because what this is called is network effect. Yes. Network effect is when... Uber attracts more riders, which attracts more drivers, which lowers the wait time, which attracts more riders, which attracts more drivers, which lowers the wait time. Yes. Right now, at this minute, Uber is on the verge of being banned in London. And That's this has correct. gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. My prediction is the consumers will bang down the doors of their members of parliament or yes. mayor or whoever else, and they'll say, we want this back. Why? Because the consumer is as much a part of the business as anything in the business itself. Absolutely. Now, network effect is not just for Uber because network effect exists in small businesses too. It exists in all kinds of small ways, okay? Yeah. So, for example, I have a discussion forum for my members and we've got, I don't know, something like five, probably more than 500 people that, that are in the Google group, okay? Yeah. Well, what that means is that if you have an 80-20 orientation towards business, then that is a way, way, way better place for you to go than some other forum that only has 40 members, Yeah. right? Because the likelihood of getting your actual question answered is exponentially better, right? And now what Bob Metcalf, the inventor of Ethernet, who actually is a friend of mine, mm -hmm. he said that the value of a network is proportional to the number of members squared. Okay, so right. 
eBay is worth four times as much money if it has twice as many users. Why? Because right. every user attracts vendors and every vendor attracts users. And so there's this mutuality. And most people are not accustomed to thinking this way, but there's all kinds of little ways in which you can incorporate network effect into a business. And the more of them you use, the more you build a moat around your business that yes. other competitors can't get into. Good luck starting another Uber. Right. And now, I mean, this is very interesting because this is one of the criteria that Warren Buffett uses to invest in businesses. And I have been a follower of Warren Buffett for a long time, and I have had Apple stock for some time. I was going to sell my Apple stock at one stage because they weren't doing so great, and then Buffett went into Apple in a pretty big way. And my recollection is he owns about 13% of Apple now. Now, he's never invested in tech stock in the past, including the fact Ooh. that even though he's good friends with Bill Gates and he's pledged most of his wealth to Microsoft, or sorry, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, he's never gone into Microsoft in a big way because he always said, I don't understand tech, so I'm not going to invest in it. But he invested in Apple, and I suspect that is because... One of his criteria, he has 10, but one of his criteria is, of course, they have 200 billion or 250 billion in, in cash holdings. They've done share buybacks, but they also have what he calls a durable competitive advantage. And this idea of the network effect has existed for quite a while in that business because it used to be iTunes that was the over, you know, the umbrella that held all their products together. And now they're disbanding iTunes, but you know, they're coming up with the Apple glasses, for example. There's talk about that. And the processing is going to happen on the iPhone, but the glasses are going to allow you to look at the, your emails and swipe and all that sort of stuff. The devices work in concert with each other. And once you're in that garden, the walled garden, it's a beautiful garden, but you're trapped in there because, hey, if I want to switch to Android now, it's going to hurt. You know, the switching mm -hmm. costs are too expensive, but that's how they want it. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to be a captive in that walled garden. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that that is how they have built such a powerful business. I mean, they entered a business that was so commoditized. You know, the PC business was so commoditized when they came into it in the, in the resurgence. And now they're making obscene amounts of profits. I, I mean, that was unthinkable when jobs came in. And so this is how 21st century business now works. And it's based on feedback loops. And 80-20 works because of feedback loops. So... 80% of the traffic runs on 20% of the roads and 80% of the dirt is on 20% of your carpet because it's where you walk. And the, right. this is everywhere. So just about every column in any spreadsheet, every number in your business is somehow or another affected by 80-20. So it means you can subtract from the losing end, add to the winning end, and it, it actually keeps going and going and going. You never really run out of 80-20s to work on. And right. so if you understand 80-20 really well, you can walk into any company in the world and you can consult and you can find useful things to do. And most of the time they will work. Right. Let's talk about 80-20 in terms of productivity and task selection. So my perspective has been, and I advise my clients about this, is productivity to me is no longer about getting more stuff done in less time. Yes, it is a hangover from, you know, Frederick Taylor when he did the time and motion studies on the factory floors and it made sense in the industrial age. But today we live in the information age and today I believe productivity is not about doing more things in less time, at least not in the non... I mean, we still have the economic concept of productivity, the GDP concept, and I get that. That probably is still factors of production and all that. But for you and I, productivity is about doing fewer things, but the right things in the right sequence. And it's actually, in that sense, it is about doing less. So my view is productivity is about better task selection and then being able to delegate or outsource the rest. Now, in your book, I love how you've categorized your tasks and you say you've got your $10 tasks like cleaning and sorting. You've got a $100 task which, where you can outsource those cleaning and sorting jobs so that outsourcing task would be say a hundred dollar task you've got your thousand dollar task where you spend the time delegating complex activities to people and maybe creating systems and processes around that and then you've got a 
$10,000 tasks, maybe like hiring great team members, which as we know, Jobs was a big proponent of. And yes. if you want to get a job with Apple, you've got to interview like for seven hours or seven, I don't know, seven times. And I do agree that, it, I don't know what that phrase is, you know, the, the more you sweat in, on the training ground, the less you bleed in the battlefield or something. To me, yes. hiring great quality staff is that activity. So can you talk us a bit through that framework of yours? I absolutely loved it. So I have a client, Nancy Schlesinger, and she is a hiring consultant. And she says a bad hire costs you four to 14 times their salary. Jesus. And it doesn't sound right at first until you really start looking at what are the effects of a bad employee? Like, what are the effects of a bad bookkeeper? Like, I can, I can promise you, I know from very painful personal experience that a bad bookkeeper will cost you a ton of money. I mean, yeah. I had a six-figure IRS fine from oh a goodness. bad bookkeeper once, okay? Right. It was worth it was way more money than, than I ever paid the bookkeeper, okay? So I'm a CPA, actually, so I understand the importance <laughs> of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, you know, you uh, misreport somebody's income or you fail to file their quarterly tax returns or you know, anything like, like these things can get you in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, or an employee who has a bad attitude or an employee who makes inappropriate sexual remarks and makes your yes. females employees uncomfortable. And you don't know this is going on oh, because yes. everybody's too nice to tell you, but <laughs> it's hurting the morale and it makes them not want to come to work and right. makes them not want to show up at meetings or makes them resentful or they leave and you don't even know why. Right. Okay. All of these things, right? And so having really good team members, it's hard to do. And one of my principles is it's not an interview. It's an audition. If you ran a theater and you wanted actors, you wouldn't just interview them. If you had a band and you wanted a bass player, you wouldn't just interview them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, so I've got a client, Sid Graff. He runs a window cleaning company. Yep. He has something, he calls it a two week paid interview, mm -hmm. which is, yes, you can work for my window company for two weeks yep. and we do not consider you hired for the first two weeks. And yes. at the end of two weeks, you can say no to us. We can say no to you. It's no yeah. big deal. Not going to make, you know, we're not going to say you were fired or anything like that. We're just going to test out and see how everybody gets along. That, that's exactly what I do. When I hire a new person, I give them a project and I work one-on-one -on -one with them. We're a fairly small company, but I don't introduce them to the rest of the team until I'm confident that they have the right attitude, they dot their I's, they cross their T's. It doesn't matter if they make mistakes, but if they're coming to the table with an open heart, with an honest desire to give and to learn, then I know that they're ticking the right boxes in terms of the culture. Because as I learned in my MBA, the culture in, in an organization is one of the most abstract things, but one of the hardest things to change. And once you damage it, it takes a lot of effort to restore it. So my view is I hire someone with the right attitudes. The skills are important, but not as important as the attitude. And then when I'm comfortable that they will gel well with the rest of the team, I will then introduce them to the rest of the team and welcome them into the family or, or the business which I see as a family. Yes, that's right. And if they come and wash windows for two weeks, you know their habits, you know how they wash windows, right. you, you've done all of that stuff. You don't necessarily even have to have had a big, long conversation with them because, yep. you know, well, you know, everybody's going to sit down and eat lunch. You you have the conversation then. Yes. Right. And then uh, John Paul Mendoza, the, the gambling guy that I told yeah. you about, he has this rule and it's the three meals rule. If you are going to get in any serious business relationship with somebody like yeah. they're going to be a major vendor for you or they're going to work for you or they're con or you're going to be a partner with them or you're going to have equity in their company, you should have three meals with them. Mm -hmm. Because by the third meal, if they're putting on a front, the veneer's going to wear away and you're going to see, yes. well, oh, how do they treat the waitress, right? And, you know, do they leave a nice tip? And, 
Yeah. You know, do they save disparaging remarks about their other employees or business partners? Sure. You start, you figure this this stuff out. And so it's about show, don't tell. And yes. show, don't tell is 80-22, right? Right. Because, you know, talk is 80% and, and action is 20. And you care about the action part. Absolutely. So, Perry, the next thing I would like to talk about is your work with NASA's Jet Propulsion Labs. But before we jump onto that, I just want to close off this concept or this importance of the $10,000 an hour task of hiring. But there's a few other similar tasks, you know, like I believe strategizing, maybe planning for the year, things like that. But can you tell our listeners a little bit more about some other tasks that are high value tasks that helped a company like Apple go from virtual bankruptcy in the 80s to being the first trillion dollar company in the US. So there's a whole different way of thinking about productivity in, you know, now that we're, you realize we're only like 40 some days away from the end of the decade today when we're recording this. I mean, yep. you know, new decade, right? Yes, so yes. at the beginning, at the beginning of the third decade of the 21st century, Productivity is a very, very different thing than it was in the 80s or right. the 90s, okay? Because in the 80s or 90s, we talk about pre-internet, there was a very finite number of things within, you know, on your desk, so to speak, Yeah. right? So the best thing you could do was stay busy because yes. one of those things on your desk needs to get, it needs to be fixed up and tweaked and organized or whatever, okay? Now, there's an infinite number of things on your desk. Yeah. There is, right? Like, yes. so to speak, right? Infinite number of tweets that you could go, uh, blog posts you could go read or things you could go do or p advice yes. you could take. And so, if your priority is just to be, like, busy or to just get things done, you could work forever, Yes. And never really do anything valuable for anybody, right? Yes. Okay, so you ask, what's valuable? Well, so in 80-20 sales and marketing, I say there's $10 an hour work. Yep. What's that? It's driving to the office supply store. It's emptying your waste basket. It's vacuuming the floor. Okay, then there's $100 an hour work. What's that? Well, that's helping out a customer. You know, that's answering emails from important people. It's you know, stuff like that. Okay, then there. what's $1,000 an hour? $1,000 an hour stuff is things that is actually strategic and improves the systems in the environment in which all of that work actually gets done. And then $10,000 an hour work is the highly strategic stuff. Now, when you say $10,000 an hour, most people, they're like, well, that doesn't compute. Like, I can't even imagine. Hey, 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 hang on. Let me give you an example of negative $10,000 an hour work. Yeah. Dentist office, phone rings. Helen picks up the phone. Can you hold, please? Puts a person on hold. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then two minutes later, is anyone helping you? Oh, yeah. And then they, they say what they said before all over again. Yeah. Right. Maybe to somebody else this time. And then they get put on hold again. And then they hang up. And guess what? They were going to spend... $30,000 on like cosmetic surgery yeah, and they got put on hold three times. And in the space of two and a half minutes, you lost a $30,000 sale. So 30,000 into two and a half minutes, how many dollars an hour is that? Yeah, right. Okay. How many dollars an hour does hold music actually cost you? How many dollars an hour does wrong person answering phone yeah. cost you? Yep. So yep. like Helen can lose the dentist $30,000 in two minutes, Yes. right? Okay, now, if the dentist has several hours of staff meetings and they change the voicemail system and they change the phone system and they assign everybody very carefully and everybody knows exactly how the phone calls are supposed to be answered, so therefore the number of people put on hold goes to almost zero. Yep. And the number of people lost that way goes to almost zero. 
those meetings were worth easily $10,000 an hour, even for multiple hours of, of those meetings, okay? Right. And now you go, well, we don't sell $30,000 dental cases. Okay, so you sell $3,000 things or you sell $300 things. The principle does not change. Yep, absolutely. And, and so the time you spend measuring things Thinking about this, examining the systems in which you operate, questioning your assumptions, that becomes $1,000 an hour, $10,000 an hour work. And I say you should spend time on this every day. Yep. You should spend time thinking about your work before you start. Okay, so in 1997, it was probably a great idea to roll out of bed and start answering your email right away. Yeah. In 2020, it is a bad, bad, bad idea. Yeah. So like worst way to start your day. Here, let me show you the worst way to start your day. <laughs> pull, okay, I pull cell phone into bed. Yeah. And then I open it up I, and I push the button and I start looking at stuff. I start yeah. reading emails. I start looking at Facebook. Worst possible way to yeah. start your day. What is best possible way to start your day? Pen, That's what I paper. do. Pen and paper. And I just write about the outcomes that I want or the things that are important. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can check out our channel, youtube.com forward slash Productive Insights. And this will be on there. But page 119 I've got up here. This has got that table of Perry's, and I really like it. One of the other $10,000 activity, an hour activities he's got here is public speaking. And I've been doing public speaking lately, and I can tell you that is really, really valuable because it does two things apart from establish you as an authority. It also helps you to hone your skills and your, your knowledge. Improving your USP, creating better offers. I mean, creating a good quality offer is so important today and creating an offer that really sings and related to that, another, in my opinion, $10,000 activity is understanding your customer. Empathy. Empathy is one of the least used words in marketing that I've heard and probably one of the most important. If you can't empathize, you have no business being in business. Amen, brother. And so, and I liked what you said about writing. Like, yeah, I know your phone is analog, but you, or it's digital, you're analog. You and I, we are yeah. analog. There's something about, okay, I have a 0.5 millimeter mechanical pencil. That is what I like to write with. It has yeah. an eraser on it. And when I can sit here and I can like, okay, what am I going to do today? What is important? And you know what? Many times we need to reevaluate every single day what's important, depending on how Correct. things are changing around us. And we got to do 80-20. It's like, what stuff am I just not going to respond to today? Yes, absolutely. So you decide what you're not going to do first, right? And you create space. So th this is another thing. I think one of the best things that you can do is you make space. If your day is crammed, crammed, crammed with activity, activity, I guarantee you 80% of your activity is not doing anything good. You know, Perry, in episode 142, I think it was 142, I spoke to Dr. Srini Pillay, who's the assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And he talked about the power of the unfocused mind as a productivity tool. So, you mm -hmm. know, if you're listening to this, I recommend checking that out. Or in episode 145, I talked to Amy Porterfield about mindfulness, which is another great tool to help you improve your productivity. Inside my membership, I have this course where I teach the Eisenhower matrix, where you talk about the four quadrants and the stuff that's important but not urgent, which is where we don't spend enough time. And instead, we spend time on our stuff that is urgent but not important, things like answering the phone or whatever, instead of spending time on the strategically important stuff. It's that quadrant two stuff that gives us the major long-term benefits the stuff that is strategically important and for which you need to create some space. And often that space is just spaciousness, mental spaciousness. You have to be able mm -hmm. to drop into your body and not constantly be in the crazy buzzing of your mind. The people who, in my opinion, are going to win in 2020 and beyond are the people who are going to be ruthless 
at task selection and I'm going to say, well, this is what I'm going to do today and I'm going to actually take the time to do other things that bring me joy so I can be fueled to do better work. That's, that's exactly right. And a lot of people, they feel guilty when they're not running the hamster wheel. Yeah. They're like, oh, you know, oh, I should be doing something. I, no, sit down, like bolt yourself to the chair and sit down with your piece of paper, okay, and make some space and listen to yourself and figure out what you what you really want to do and like stop this, you know, buzzing inside your head that says, you know, I got to be banging away at something. I got to be typing at the keyboard. I got to be, here's what that does. It fills a void and it superficially feels like you're getting something done. But at the end of the day, you're completely exhausted and unfulfilled. And you're like, where did the day go? And what did I even accomplish today? Yeah. And usually when you find yourself asking, what did I even accomplish today? Usually it's because you didn't start out by figuring out what is the one thing that is so important that if I didn't do anything else, it would still make the day totally worthwhile just to have done the one thing. Or I could have taken the rest of the day off because the one thing got done. And most of the time, we all have one thing where, oh, man, it, it might be super hard, by the way. Okay, yeah. very well, maybe, maybe almost impossible. If I got that one thing done, like if I closed that one sale with that one customer, the rest of the customers all year, the rest of the year wouldn't even matter. I would come home with a big slab of Mastodon meat on my shoulders and the village would cheer. <laughs> Perry, so you've worked with NASA's Jet Propulsion Labs and they are using your 8020 curve as a productivity tool. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And can you tell us how our listeners can find out more about you? Well, so I got this email out of the blue from this guy and he says, Hey, kid, and he was. I think he wanted permission. He wanted permission to reproduce one of the images in the 8020 book. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm at Jet Propulsion Labs and I'm, I'm teaching a productivity course and we really like your 8020 curve around here. And I said, well, you know, can I tell everybody that you're doing it? He goes, well, we are doing it. He says, you know, I can't give you my PowerPoint slides because those are confidential, but absolutely, like yeah. we're using it. You can tell the world you're using it. And I've had several of these things come over the transom like that. Another one was getting an article published in Harvard Business Review, Italy. I was, this goes to that $10,000 an hour speaking thing that we talked about. Yeah. I had a speaking invitation in Italy. So I was already going to go to Italy. And then the seminar organizer said, well, we're featuring our speakers in Harvard Business Review, Italy. Would you like to write an article? Would that be okay? I'm like, yeah, that would be just fine. In fact, it was the first time I ever published the math for the 80-20 curve at all. And, you know, okay, what does this illustrate? Well, you know, I can tell you that if I had wanted to go directly to Harvard Business Review or directly to Jet Propulsion Labs in Pasadena yeah. and get them to do anything, good luck. <laughs> exactly. You know what I did? I did the 80-20 most important things that I could do, yeah. which caused me to sell a lot of books and caused me to get a speaking invitation to Italy. So one of those books made it into NASA. One of those books made it to, to the Italian people. They also translated my book into Italian. I didn't cause that to happen either. And look, there's a certain amount of luck and, you know, good fortune and providence that happens in life, okay? Yeah. And anybody that makes it sound like you can control all these things is on drugs. <laughs> you can't. That's correct. Okay, I can't get into NASA by going and knocking on the door. Yeah, you're right, Perry. We can control barely 10% of our external environment, but we kid ourselves by thinking we can control more. But what we can control, we should really focus on, and that is about what tasks and where we focus our attention. Yes, and you know what? 1% of what you're doing, you have complete control over, and it's hugely productive. And if you're not aware of it, 
then too bad for you. If you are aware of it, then it's it's like the customer that sends a $20,000 purchase order once every six months and yeah. you don't even know who they are. Everybody with any real business has one of those or you have a restaurant and like, there's this guy that comes every in every week. Do you actually know who he is? Right? Right, right. There's somebody like that and you you don't even know who they are. So it's just, it's so much more rewarding when you're like, you know what? I'm going to be awake and alert to those top 5% things. I'm actually going to start measuring things. I'm going to start tracing cause and effect. And I'm going to find out, oh, well, you know, I spoke at 10 different events last year, but the one that got me more customers than all the other ones put together was right. in the blank, because there's an answer. Perfect. Well, how do people find out more about you, Perry? And what can they do to learn more about, how can they get a copy of your book? How can they find out more about your 80-20 approach? Well, you can get it on Amazon, but there's an even better way. You get more stuff for less money. If you go to sell8020.com, S-E-L-L-8020.com, yep. it will take you to 8020 Sales and Marketing, $7 in the United States, $14 international will okay. ship it to you. We're wow. taping dollar bills to the book to get this in your hands okay. because we've found, like we did all the math and we found that's actually a good idea. If people read this book, it, it brings us clients and all kinds of stuff. So I want you to read the book. I'll pay, basically pay you to read the book. And you get extra videos and bonuses and additional things that you don't get if you buy the book on Amazon. You go to sell8020.com. And you know what? This book will change your life. It will change your life. I have a friend. He is getting ready to spend, I think it's $120,000 on an MBA. And I said to him, I said, you will get as much value out of this one book as you get from half of your MBA classes yeah. put together. Okay. And you're going to spend 60 grand on half of your MBA classes. And you can buy this book for $7. This, it will totally you will look out the window or at a spreadsheet or in your Facebook advertising account or whatever, your payroll, and you'll see 8020s everywhere. You never <laughs> used to see them. And you're like, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. And you'll start knowing what levers to twist. And you go, hey, wait a minute. There's all this stuff I don't need to do. There's all yeah. these books I don't need to read. There's all these reports I don't need to write. Right. There's all these people I don't need to meet with them. You know, Perry, inside my membership, I have this course I ask all my members to go through. And the first module is the Eisenhower Matrix, which talks about... And then the second module talks about systems, which is one of those quadrant two activities, important but not urgent. The third one is the 80-20 rule. And the fourth one is Pomodoro technique to get yourself mm. momentum. And the fifth one is about mindfulness, which is also designed to help you to stay proactive and strain the quadrant two activities. So I think all of those ideas align with the 80-20 rule. Now, I just want to really do a quick sum up before we finish up. Key action steps for our listeners. Every business and most phenomena that we see in the world are bound by the 80-20 rule. 20% mm -hmm. of your effort delivers 80% of your results. 4% of your effort delivers 64% of your results. 1% of your effort delivers 51% of your results. Same thing applies to your clients. Same thing applies to the tasks you do. So think before you start working. Busy work doesn't work anymore. The people who mm -mm. are going to win in, the, in 2020 and beyond are the people who are going to be intelligent about task selection and intelligent about client selection. Start your day not by looking at your phone, but go analog with a piece of paper and a pen and draw, write, but plan your day. Be deliberate, be conscious, create spaciousness in your day. My advice is Maybe even build in an hour to watch Netflix if you work from home or go for a walk on the beach or something where you don't take your phone with you so your subconscious mind has an opportunity to actually present beautiful ideas and breakthrough concepts which it would not be able to do if you're continuously pouring over a computer or a phone. Be aware of the network effect when it comes to building your business and building your products. Apple is a great example to look at. They have a tiered approach to their products. They have a product strategy and all the products feed off each other. When you hire people, think about it as an audition, not an interview. So approach it as, you know, you're bringing somebody into your family. And if you wouldn't bring them home to be part of your family, don't bring them into your business because your culture in your business is probably 
one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, for you to be able to grow effectively and profitably. And finally, focus on the $10,000 an hour activities, hiring being one such example. Another one might be public speaking or creating great quality offers. Probably the most important one, though, in my opinion, is understand your customer so deeply and empathize with them so deeply that you know them better than they know themselves so you can really solve their problems in a meaningful way and you can be of service to them. Amen, brother. So yeah, 80-20, it's the central principle of my entire business existence. And you can't get good enough at this. And right. you know, there's yellow belt, white belt, green belt, brown belt, there's black belt, there's third degree black belt, there's ninth degree black belt. And so, and it's counterintuitive at every step. It always defies your normal instincts, which is why it's so powerful. So master it and it will make you very prosperous. This was so much fun, Perry. Uh, if you're open to it, I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 